Let's pray. Father in heaven, uh, there, is, there is so much celebration in you and from you. There uh, is so much life and beauty and wonder that comes from you. And Father, I pray that uh, that sense, or that message, or that truth will underlie everything that I teach about today, that it, that it will override and, and fill everything that's said uh, today. And, and that will be the basis, your goodness to us would be the basis out of which we might live. Uh, for the seniors, Father, for the students, I pray especially for them today. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can have a seat. It is great to have the student ministry worship band lead us in worship this morning. I love that. Love it. Um, we shouldn't wait another year before they lead again. Would you agree with me on that? Uh, just a great job by you guys leading. And, uh, and the seniors that are here as well as students. Uh, just, I can only imagine how the parents of the seniors were feeling around the room. First you see this picture of your child back many years ago, and now you see a picture that's current. And there had to be so many emotions flowing, so many emotions about where did the years go? And, and emotions of pride and wonder and hopes and prayers, and maybe a little bit of joy too that, that you're finally done, like you got this much done now. But I found myself as a, as a pastor gazing at the seniors that were in front of us and thinking there is so much promise, there's so much potential, and there is this welling up in my heart, just hoping, praying, that each one would, would um, live their full destiny in Jesus. Live their full destiny in Jesus. And I know a few of them, many of them I don't know, but for every face as I looked at them, that was my yearning, is, is that they would find, if they haven't already, already, they'd find this life in Jesus, and they would live it out vibrantly and powerfully. And, and so uh, the message today is, is for them and for all of us, in essence, uh, and it may be an unusual message in one sense, but, um, but very profound in how it could guide us and lead us. We've been in the book of Acts for a number of weeks now, so I want to catch you up. We'll be in Acts chapter 8, verses 1 to 3 today. Uh, I want to catch us up. Jesus has come. He's died on the cross and paid the price for all of our sins. He's risen from the dead. He has shown himself to 500 or more. The church has now been launched, and as he ascended into heaven, right after that, the church is launched. And for the first, some brief season, the people are for the church. The authorities are against the church, but the people in Jerusalem, are, they're for the church. But uh, just before Acts 8, the people turn against the church, the people that follow Jesus. And they have picked up stones, and there's this man filled with grace and love and um, that talks about Jesus. And they take stones his name is Stephen, and they stone him to death. And he's the first follower of Jesus to lose his life simply for following Jesus. So that sets the stage for, for chapter 8. Let me pick up with chapter 8. In verse 1, it says, So Saul was one of the witnesses, and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. So Saul's this guy that's there saying, What you did, I'm, I'm in full agreement with that. A great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem. And all the believers, except the apostles, were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. Some devout men came and they buried Stephen with great mourning. But Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to destroy, uh, to throw them into prison. And so there's this massive persecution that's begun. And in essence, it means if you're a follower of Jesus, 
and someone finds out about it, then you're going to be imprisoned. It's just a matter of time. Uh, Saul and others are going door to door to door. You'll be imprisoned, and then the trial will come, and unless you renounce Jesus, then you'll be killed. And so this is taking place in Jerusalem, and, um, and, and it, as I was reading this, I thought, isn't this remarkable that there is this level of suffering? They are they're imprisoned. They are giving up their lives and they could stop the entire persecution just by renouncing Jesus. It's all they have to do. It's the only reason they're suffering is because they follow Jesus. And all they have to do is say, I renounce him and I'll, I'll choose not to follow him. And life is back to normal and they don't do it. They don't do it. And it begs the question, why? They're not psychos that have some emotional disturbances. They're not people that, that love pain. They're not looking for pain. They're not looking to be martyrs. Why, why don't they just renounce him? And I think the answer is found in this. In Matthew 13, 45 and 46, Jesus had said this previously, and I think they have come to believe this to be deeply true. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. When he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned and he bought it. So in the kingdom of heaven, and the kingdom of heaven is simply every, every uh, area, every realm, or every person that's decided to, to have Jesus as king of their life, or lord of their life, or leader of their life. The kingdom of heaven is the entire realm of which Jesus is lord of. And so he's saying that the kingdom of heaven, if, if someone's under my lordship, my leadership, he said the equivalent is like this. It's like this merchant who's been shopping, looking for pearls he could buy and then sell and make a big profit. This merchant sees this pearl of such great value that it is, it is worth so much, he will sell everything he has to get that one single pearl. They say, following me is, is that good and more. Following me is worth everything. And these early followers of Jesus, this early church, it's not their words that say they believe that. It's their actions that shout they believe that. Their, their freedom and their life was on the line. And they could easily opt out of following Jesus and saying, I think, I think my freedom is worth more. I think my life is worth more. I'll just opt out. Jesus is good. He's not that good. But their actions shouted out. They, they were convinced to the core of their being Jesus is worth everything, even their lives, even their lives. And they weren't surprised by, by the persecution that they had. In John chapter 20, verses 19 and 20, it tells about this, but they would be very well aware of it. They would realize, of course, the one that they were worshiping was the one that, as uh, uh, Philip just said on stage, he's the one that gave his life for them. He gave his life for them. He was the one nailed on the cross just a recent time before that. In John chapter 20, it talks about when he, when he came back that first Easter and he appears to the apostles the very first time. How does he identify himself to them? How does he convince them that, that he is the risen Jesus? He shows them his scars. He says, look, I, I, I am Jesus the Messiah. Look at my scars. And as time would unfold for them, 
He would be recognized by his scars, and now 2,000 years later, the most recognizable physical feature about Jesus has always been his scars. I have a picture in my office of some artist rendition of Jesus, and you can look at this picture, you can hardly make out anything except the hands, and the hands are these two nail print scars in the hands. And you can look at almost every artist rendition of Jesus for 2,000 years, and they'll show different facial features and different hair colors and styles and different colors of skin, but you'll almost always see the scars. They realized they were following the man known by the scars. They were following him. And they understood in John chapter 15 what John would write. They understood that Jesus had once said that, that they persecuted me, they'll persecute you too. They understood that. No surprise. No surprises. In fact, this Saul, who was this chief persecutor, uh, will, will turn and follow Jesus a short while later. It's in, in Acts chapter 9. He'll turn and follow Jesus. And then this Saul, who, became, who becomes named Paul, um, will be horrendously persecuted himself. And he'll write to the Galatians in chapter 6, verse 17. He'll say this to them. He'll say, from now on, don't let anyone trouble me with these things, for I bear on my body the scars that show I belong to Jesus. And the early followers of Jesus, they were known by the scars. They were known by what they suffered. This was the first church. This was the first church. So a man named William, William Willimon, who's a professor and author of 60-plus books, and he would write this about the book of Acts. He would say, the book of Acts reminds us practitioners, us 21st century practitioners in America, of polite, civil, mentally balanced religion that once there were Christians who quite joyfully parted with possessions, family, friends, and even life itself to remain faithful. Once there were followers of Jesus that were willing to die in following him, and I would add to what he said, there are still followers of Jesus around the world that, that are giving their lives literally to follow him. You can Google World Watch List, and you'll find 50 countries around the world that, that most persecute followers of Jesus. And many of those uh, followers of Jesus are being killed every single day. There, there are followers of Jesus today, not by their words, but by their actions, they shout, I deeply believe he's worth it all. He's the pearl of great price. He's worth everything. He's worth everything. Scriptures would say this, 2 Timothy 3.12. It says, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Everyone that wants to follow Jesus will suffer persecution. And I want to be clear about this. It's not that a Christian ever seeks persecution, ever seeks suffering. The truth is that, that Jesus, he is the, the lightning rod of all lightning rods. He's the most controversial person to ever enter the human race. He said, you're either for me or against me. There's no neutral ground. Everyone on the planet will be either for me or against me. He would say, I am the way, the truth, the life. There's no other way. And just by following him, just by following him, if we follow him with abandon, then there will be a cost associated. There will be a cost associated. And, and here's the deal for us in America. Here's the deal for us. Is that we live in this rare time where we pay so little for following Jesus. 
you're probably sitting there, some of you are probably turning your head if I'm supposed to suffer persecution. I'm not sure if I ever have because we live in this, in this rare time where there's so much support, so much protection. It's this privileged time. But God wants more for us than the ease and affluence that we can tie our lives to. And while it's hard sometimes to, to think of what we pay as suffering, there's a cost. If you follow Jesus with abandon, there is a cost. Let me give you some examples of that. When I was maybe the age of the, the seniors that were up in front of us, uh, my mother had served for a matter of four or five years on this community um, board. Uh, There's a community center, and it was kind of a Christ-based center, but it was a secular board, and, and many of her friends were on this board. And there was a season when the direction of the community center was going in a way that, that would not honor Jesus at all. And, and my mother was with these friends, and they were all going the same direction. And my mother, my mother abhorred conflict. It would be less painful for my mother if you were to pull out nails one by one out of her fingers rather than have conflict. And my, I, I watched my mother for an entire year. She would go to those meetings, and she would be the lone voice that would say, I don't think that's right. That's not what would honor Jesus. And I would see her come home in anguish over the conflict. But, but I watched my mother, and I thought, she's willing to pay that price, that internal emotional cost to follow Jesus. She's willing to do that. Uh, some years passed, and my parents had already raised my older brother and myself, so they had they'd finished their job of parenting. I'm sure when it was my senior day at my church, I'm sure that my mother cried, but half the tears were tears of joy. Like, you know, <laughs> he's going off to college, you know, <laughs> tears of joy. About um, maybe about half a dozen, six, eight, ten, twelve years later, my parents took in two wayward teenagers who were in desperate need of someone to pour into their lives and help them get their lives back on track. And I watched my parents, who had had a nice, easy run for several years, and I watched them just out of of their love for Jesus take these two wayward teenagers in and house them and care for them and love them and pay a price for them. There are many of you in this room that you pay some price of serving, I saw uh, two people early on this morning around 8 o'clock, and the way they were dressed, I knew that they were going to be out parking cars, and I've known these folks for a long time, and I know that whether it's rain or shine or hot or cold or humid or whatever, they are out there, and they'll spend an extra three hours on Sunday beyond their worship time just to do that and all the things that they do to set up. There are others that are right down the, the hallway right now that are pouring an hour or more time into the children. There are many that have poured time into students and adults and on and on and on. And there's a cost to that. There's a cost. There's time and energy and emotion that's all poured into all that. There's a cost to that. There is a cost. I wouldn't call it suffering compared to people around the world that are paying a deep cost, but there's a cost to it. If we follow Jesus, and I'm going to really step on some toes and and that's okay. But in the New Testament, as well as the Old, it's very clear that Jesus says part of, part of faith, part of faith is to let go of your finances. And the beginning of that is this tithe, this 10%, trust me, trust me, trust me. So that's the beginning of it. And for many, it will go far beyond that. 
And there's a cost to that. There's a real cost to that. Maybe you're the rare person that has so much money, you don't even know where it all goes. But most of us, there's a cost to that. But, but it's this question of, is, is, he, is, he really, is he really everything? Does he really know how to lead my life best? Is he really the pearl of great choice? Is life under his leadership and rule, is it really worth everything I have? And Jesus would say, he is, he is. There are many of you in this room that you have understood that Jesus has said, as you follow him, he has said, forgive even the one who wounded you most deeply. You must forgive them. In the process of doing that, and the emotion of doing that, there's a cost to that. On the other side, there's great freedom, but there's a cost to that. There's a cost, and, and you've had to decide, is, is, he, is, he really, is he really everything? Will I really abandon and follow him in everything, including forgiveness of this person? It doesn't always mean reconciliation, but forgiveness? There are a number of moms in our church, there are probably some in the room right now that uh, found themselves in an unplanned pregnancy. And it was very clear to them by scripture and maybe by a lot more than that, but by scripture that the life within them was a child created by God. And even in the unplanned pregnancy, they made the choice in following Jesus to give birth to this child, to give life to this child. And then some of them Uh, sacrificed even more to put up the child for adoption. And that's a massive sacrifice to do that. And others of them sacrificed greatly by, they're they're raising the child right now. But they did it out of this abandon to Jesus. It was this sense of because I follow him, I will not put myself first. Because I follow him, I'll do what he says about life. There's a cost to that. In careers, Jesus says, I want you to to live out your career world a certain way. Or maybe some of you, he says, I want you to change careers. I want you to take a different job. That's happened to many folks here. But but he he says, I want you to live it out in a way where you're following me. And I know for at least three doctors at FCC, maybe more, at least three doctors, they are consistently, regularly talking and praying for all their patients about Jesus. Jesus consistently and they know some may not like it some may not come back some may be mad they know someday someone may sue them but they do it in love and gentleness and tenderness anyway they do it anyway there's a cost to that following jesus there's even there's even a cost to recreation now uh, so many sporting events occur on sunday mornings or maybe the Texans start at noon and the 9.30 service is way too early to get up. So, uh, or maybe there's a, an all-star team that your child has you know, been yearning to be a part of, but uh, they're going every week. And following Jesus, you understand he talks about how this community of faith is so important to be a part of that, a vibrant part of that for your sake and the sake of the community that, that you understand you can't be gone all the time. And so some of you in this room have made the choice that there won't be that all-star team or that vacation home. We won't go there all that much because, because following him means community of faith means so much. There's a cost to that. There's a cost to that. And right now, and I have to say this, right now it, I, I can't even label any of those suffering when we have other followers of Jesus around the world that are dying for following him. But, but this, this is a cost this is a cost. 
when it costs something, what does God do? But when the church suffers, or, or Christ followers suffers, what does God do? Acts 8, verse 4. It says, but the believers who were scattered, again, because of persecution, believers who were scattered, they preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. Philip, for example, went to the city of Samaria and told the people there about the Messiah. Crowds listened intently to Philip because they were eager to hear his message and see the miraculous signs he did. Many evil spirits were cast out, screaming as they left their victims. Many who had been paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. And then verse 12, it says, many of them began to follow Jesus. So there's this persecution, and and the followers of Jesus say, "We, we won't renounce him, but we'll give up our home and our possessions and our jobs, everything we have, and we'll leave. And, and they go to this place called Samaria, and the Samaritans would be shocked that they were there because they were Jewish people, because there had been such animosity between the Jews and the Samaritans that the Jews wouldn't even walk through their land because the Jews hated the Samaritans so much. They would almost always go around Samaria, and now here come these Jewish followers of Jesus, not just walking through the land, but coming into the land and saying, I I want to set up residence here with you and among you. And out of the love of Jesus, can I tell you about the Messiah who has come, who has come. And I'm quite certain that as the events of Acts 8 were unfolding, that Satan was watching the persecution and watching Christ follower after Christ follower die for his or her faith. I'm sure he was thinking, I can snuff this out now. And and God takes the persecution and he scatters these followers of Jesus throughout Judea and Samaria and far, far beyond that. And every place they go, they tell people about Jesus and this faith is spreading like wildfire. And the biggest thing they have... The way they gain their most credibility is by the scars that they wear, by the suffering that they have endured. Because as they show up in Samaria and the other areas they go to, people are asking why, why they came, and they're telling them. And people are asking, so have you been a, a vagabond? Have you been a gypsy your whole life? And like, what did you give up? And so they simply say, well, it was my home and my career and my possessions, and I had to leave family and friends. But for Jesus, it was worth it all. It gave them stunning credibility, stunning credibility. So many times people are more captured by what we've given up than by what we've gained in Jesus. The gains are phenomenal. Forgiveness, relationship with God, joy, peace, love that begins to grow. Heaven someday, the gains are are phenomenal, but sometimes people don't, the words of that don't carry a lot of weight. But when they see what maybe we've given up, there's credibility gained there. i give you a simple illustration. Suppose I were to tell you that Marie and I went out and we bought a painting this last week. And, and in our view, it is the most stunning, phenomenal painting that exists on the planet. In our view, it is, it is a priceless painting, and, uh, and, and we, we are the owners of this painting of all paintings. And then I told you we paid $10 for it. <laughs> uh, you may be slightly curious, but I doubt anyone would be ringing the doorbell to see it. <laughs> but suppose I gave you that description of this painting, and I said, we, we took our two cars, and we sold both cars to buy this painting. And now we walk, now we walk. But this painting was worth it. 
I think our doorbell would be ringing off the wall if we had done that. I, in my last couple of years in the oil business, there was a man named Chris who I talked with about Jesus uh, for a couple of years. And had pleasant conversations. I can't say there was ever any real interest from him. It would, it would just be like talking about something of, of casual interest and you could easily leave or take. And uh, when I resigned from the oil business, I got a call later that day from South America. It was Chris. And he had some small talk. He was asking me for clarity about what I was doing and why. And he said, now I know you believe everything you said about Jesus. Now I know. What are your scars? What are your scars? What does it cost you to follow Jesus? Are you following him with utter abandon because as we do, it will cost us? Are you following him with utter abandon? And how you follow will determine what you really mean, what you really believe about Jesus' parable of the merchant and the pearl. We can say whatever we want, but if we come to the point where we know that we know that we know he's worth everything, everything, then when he leads, we don't measure the cost and then decide what to do. When he leads, we just follow Last November, we did our first infusion retreat. It's a retreat for marriages, and the retreat was launched after 18 months of planning and work that we did with about 40 or 50 other Christ followers here at FCC. So there's a lot of work behind it had gone into it, and we're near the end of the infusion retreat, and Marie and I are at the back of the room, and Mark and Sarah Hale introduced this song. The song is called Worth It All. And as we began to sing, I was caught off guard by, by the lyrics and how they gripped me. Part of the lyrics read, there are no riches or earthly treasure that will satisfy. Every longing is actually for you, Jesus. So set this heart, heart on fire. And then it goes on, and we were singing this. I let go of all I have just to have all of you. No matter what the cost, I will follow. And then this this is the part that uh, just turned my face to water. Jesus, everything I've lost, I've found in you. When I finally reach the end, I'll say, you were worth it all. You were worth it all. And I'm standing at the back with my bride at my side, and there's this flood of 30 years of memories. And and they're, they're nothing. They're nothing compared to what Christians are paying around the world. But 30 years of memories of at the time we thought, oh, that's a cost, that's a cost, cost, cost. Money, job, career, opinion, sleepless night, on and on and on. Oh, we, we thought, we thought, and there were, there were costs, very small costs. But there was this flood of emotion. He is worth it all. He is worth it all. Do you know that? Do you know that? He is worth it all. I suspect this week, I suspect this week in some fashion, whether you're reading scripture or you're in a small group, even by the message I've just given, some things I've said about it, the Holy Spirit's going to prompt you Christ followers 
And, and he's going to say, Here, here's something I, I want you to do. Here's a step of obedience. Am I worth it? Am I worth, am I worth what this will cost you? And your actions will answer no matter what you say verbally. And my prayer is, is that your actions will say, you're worth it all because he is. Someday we'll see him. Someday we'll see him and we will know. We will know. And I want you to look back on your life from heaven's vantage point, be looking back and saying, I knew it back then too. And I acted on it back then. He's worth it all. He's worth it all. Father in heaven, your son Jesus is worth it all. That first church got it right when, when it came to the point for many of them to actually lose their lives. They made the choice that from the perspective of eternity makes sense. It's the only choice that makes sense. They got it right. May we increasingly get it right. May we not worry about the cost. May we just worry about what you say. And then in faith, may we follow what you say with abandon because we believe, we believe you're worth it all. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.